0: Welcome into Devil's Talking Padres. Just Dominic Stern with you. This time after the Padres split a four-game series with the Washington Nationals. Bobby spent this weekend in Vegas with celebrating one of our friends' 21st birthday. And then this was also the first weekend of his bowling league, so it just didn't end up working out on his schedule. But wanted to make sure that we could bring you a podcast talking about the series split for the Padres and also looking ahead to the Cleveland Guardians' coming to town to face the San Diego Padres. Uh, The first time in a while that Cleveland has come to Petco Park. Not really sure how long it's been, so not really a huge deal. But if you want to get out and see the Guardians, this is, of course, the first time to see the Guardians, but not sure the last time Cleveland came to San Diego. I know the, the Browns came to San Diego in the Chargers' final season. That's a little different, especially now that the Chargers are gone. But this is Dominic Stern. And An interesting series for the San Diego Padres against the Nationals, the league-worst Washington Nationals, I think we should start. Uh, Disappointing, I think, would be the very first word. Um, Obviously, splitting at home against the worst team in baseball, by their record, is disappointing, to say the least. But there are definitely a lot of aspects of the series that I think can definitely be taken as positives, and there are definitely some that are some very concerning uh, trends for the San Diego Padres and ones that they really need to solve if they want to hold on to that wild card spot, hold a two game lead over the Brewers, but uh, have recently moved into that second wild card spot. So say they didn't add that third wild card team, the Potters would be a playoff team like last year. Uh, so the, the gap is still two games, which is fine. The Cubs did a good job against the Brewers. The Brewers dropped two out of three to the Cubs. But the Potters really had an opportunity, especially over the last 10 games, facing the two worst teams in the NL East. Obviously, two of them were on the East Coast, so you can't always expect great things with the West Coast team going out East. But the Potters went 5-5 five and five against the league-worst Washington Nationals and a Miami Marlins team that hadn't scored four runs in any games uh, in their previous 15 games entering that series. And they scored three uh, in two of them and then four in the middle game. So it was an opportunity for the Padres to come home, play a really bad team, and take advantage of that fact and kind of give themselves some more leeway for when the schedule is going to get a little bit harder down the stretch, and the Padres just didn't do that. And the first concerning trend I wanted to talk about is Josh Hader. He's been bad with the Padres. I mean, there's really no other way around it, And he needs to be better because the Padres are putting a lot of faith in him. They traded, I mean, what ultimately is two relievers for him, uh, a potential prospect with Estuary Ruiz, who I'm not a huge believer in, but I know a lot of Padres fans are, uh, a lot of people in the organization are. So take their word for uh, prospect evaluations a lot more than mine. But then Robert Gasser, a guy that I really liked, who I talked with, James Clark, and a couple other prospect evaluators on our Padres EVT podcast, which you can also find on your preferred podcast platforms. Uh, You can go ahead and listen to our past couple of episodes there uh, on Spotify, Apple podcast, Padres EVT podcast, but I liked Gasser. So the Padres put a lot of faith in Josh Hader and he's been bad. He's had a 16 ERA with the Padres. Uh, He didn't get the loss or allow any earned runs on Thursday, but he didn't come in and shut the door like he could have. He hit Luke Voigt, and then he walked uh, Edwin, uh, Edwin uh, Nelson Cruz and then uh, allowed a sack fly, and two runs from Darvish came in to score. And I'll, I'll get to Darvish and the starting pitchers in a bit. And then Hayter came in the next night with a tie game and absolutely fell apart. He only allowed, He only faced three batters. He walked the first one. The second one was a tough play for Hayter, but he then threw the ball away and then a run came around to score and then allowed a home run to a batter who was hitting below the Mendoza line and has done very little slugging at the major league level and was immediately pulled. Uh, It was as bad of an outing from a closer as I've ever seen, and we have seen some really bad ones over the last couple of years. So that was concerning to say the least. Didn't pitch it out of the last two games, and the Padres said they were going to go to a closer by committee uh, for the moment, Luis Garcia got the clothes on Saturday and Nick Martinez got the clothes on Sunday. Both did so in a strong manner, so that was really nice to see, but Hayter has been really bad with his command, and that's kind of where it stemmed from. There's been graphs on Twitter displaying the fact that his arm angle has changed. And that's kind of what's made him so effective uh, thus far in his young Major League Baseball career, and he hasn't made a great adjustment with that, and it makes me believe that he's hurt. That's just a belief for me, but I mean, I, I feel like a pitcher that's been as dominant as Hater has been, he wouldn't change his arm slot, and it was working really well for him early in the year, and then it just has been a downward spiral for him, and I mean, that's really been put on full display with that blown game against the Giants on that Tuesday night, and then... He didn't really blow the game on Thursday against the Nationals, but he absolutely did on Friday. He had a chance to keep the game tied going into the bottom of the ninth on Thursday with two runners on, but he couldn't get out of it with one away. And I mean, it, it's concerning. And he needs to, I don't know, adjust his mental approach or something, but if Hayter's going to be in the zone with that 97 on our fastball and a good slider, they can start playing off of each other. But, there were certainly instances where his slider he couldn't find, so the batters are just looking for his fastball, and his fastball doesn't have as much rise as it used to, and he, he's just kind of like a sitting duck out there for some hitters who are just hunting fastball, and it, it's not good. And I, I'm concerned, to say the least, about Josh Hader, and I think that's the general consensus amongst Padre fans. Now, Josh Hader's track record would also lead you to believe that he will probably figure it out, but he has not been able to bounce back from a really bad last two months. And the Potters have the worst team ERA in the ninth inning in all of major league baseball. And that's something that is awful and something that could definitely plague them over the last month and a half of the season. And especially if the Potters missed the playoffs by one or two games, you're going to be looking back and saying, well, if the Potters had that closer rule." more situated than they probably would be in the playoffs. And that's something I don't think any of us as Padre fans or people that cover the Padres want to be discussing, but it's the reality of the situation. So Hader was, of course, a big concern. And the offense just cannot do anything with runners in scoring position. It, it's incredibly frustrating to watch because, I mean, everyone knows how talented this Padres team is and how good they can be. They left eight runners on base and went 0 for four with runners in scoring position on Thursday, and their only run was scored on a 3-0 green light for Manny Machado, when she crushed that ball. And then on Friday, left seven runners on base, went two for eight, and then on Saturday went 0 for six with runners in scoring position and left 11 men on base, but got two little, two solo home runs and held the Nationals to just one run, and then didn't really have many opportunities at all on Sunday, but were able to scrape across two runs with a Brandon injury double and a Josh Bell home run, uh, left six guys on base. They just are not capitalizing with runners on base. And it's been a bad, bad problem for the San Diego Padres. And I'm not sure what the thought process is up there. A lot of people are pointing out that they like to take a lot of pitches. And I definitely have noticed that they're fouling off a lot of pitches that are over the plate. And I'm not sure what that's all about. It's kind of something that uh, is inexplainable, to be completely honest, because they're getting on base. And uh, Justin Jett tweeted this. Over the last 13 days, the Potters have the second-best OBP, the sixth-best OPS, the most amount of walks, and the sixth-fewest strikeouts in all of baseball, and have the sixth-best ERA in all of baseball. Yet, they were what they were seven and six over those 13 games. Like it it's been inexcusable how this team has been able to score such little runs, despite the fact that they have all those, you know, surprisingly good numbers. So the offense is just kind of in a funk. And I think a big part of it was the fact that Josh Bell's batting cleanup and was just on the struggle bus. He could not hit was hitless. And, uh, when you looked at the series in Washington and Miami, uh, he only got a hit in one of those games and was struggling, didn't get a hit in the first two games, but then hit a massive home run uh, on Saturday to tie the game up for the Padres. And then he hit the go-ahead home run on Sunday. So you really got to hope that the season, and I mean, really, not really a season, but it's going to turn around for Josh Bell because the Padres believed in him. They traded Eric Osmer, who was not good, and Luke Voigt, who was better than Hosmer at the plate, uh, away to the Washington Nationals. And for Josh Bell, his performance at the plate was just really, really bad. And a lot of the Potters had talked about how hard he works and how he's going to get it done. And he's in a home run in back-to-back games. And I really hope that Josh Bell can keep that going because he was really bad to start his Padres tenure, and I believe he's going to turn it around. And once again, like hater, his track record backs it up. But Bell had been hitting a lot of ground balls. Anytime he gets fooled, his swing is really ugly. So something to really look out for to see if Josh Bell can kind of rebound. But one thing that I was really impressed with this weekend was the Padres starting pitching. I mean, they deserve all the credit in the world for being phenomenal this week against the Washington Nationals. Their, their lineup sucks. I mean, we're not going to sugarcoat anything, but Darvish allowed one run through eight innings, and then Bob Melvin tried to extend him. which, I mean, given Darvish's pretty low pitch count at that point, he was only at 90 pitches. We've seen Darvish work up into the hundreds a lot. I didn't think it was a bad idea. It didn't work out. I mean, hindsight, you can say Melvin shouldn't have left him in, and, I mean, you'd be correct, but... I didn't disagree with the decision at the time, so I'm not going to go back and say, well, that was a bad decision. But Darvish allowed a couple of singles, and then Hayter couldn't strand those runners, and that's what the good relievers, they really uh, uh, value themselves on is the fact that they can get out of the jams and strand the runners that they inherit. So a really good start from Darvish. Then Blake Snell, who got pulled over for speeding and then was hit His car was hit by a drunk driver, so obviously a very uh, concerning Thursday night for Snell. He came out and he put the Potters in a position to win the game, five innings, three in runs, and especially the circumstances for Snell. I think you had to be pleased with that if you're the San Diego Potters, of course, couldn't win that game. Then on Sunday, Musgrove, six innings, one run, made some incredible defensive plays, a glove flip home to get a runner out, and then he barehanded a ball, uh, that was grounded back to him over 90 miles an hour. And then Sean Mania, seven innings of one-run ball, uh, just the home run to Nelson Cruz it was his lump blemish. That ball was absolutely hammered. And I would said, I want the Potters to keep eye in the rotation because I believe that he is the Potters' fifth-best option coming out of the bullpen. And Nick Martinez has been so good coming out of the bullpen. And then we saw him come out and get the save in game number four of this series. And that was really awesome to see him in a role that we haven't seen. We'd seen him in the long distance role. We had seen him in the high leverage role, but we hadn't really seen him in a save role. And uh, the, the, of course, the traditional ninth inning uh, lead save role. And that's exactly what he did. It's his fifth save of the year, so he's second on the Potters in saves. But Nick Martinez has been so good on the bullpen, three point one ERA. Uh, Robert Suarez has been really good on the bullpen. He's certainly been a guy that's been impressive. Moray Holmes got a 3.3 ERA. Nationals may regret not trading for him. Tim Hill's ERA is down to a three. Luis Garcia's ERA is down to a 3.4. The Potter's bullpen has all the pieces to be absolutely elite. And if they can find themselves into the postseason, there's not a single offense in baseball that's going on to face this bullpen. And you're going to look at the National League and say the Phillies have a good lineup. The Mets have a good lineup. The Dodgers have a really good lineup. The Cardinals have some really good bats in there as well, but the Potters' bullpen shouldn't be afraid of anyone, and when, the guy, when these guys have it on, they are just as good as any bullpen in all of baseball. Put them up there with the Orioles, with the Mariners, with, of course, the Dodgers. This bullpen's legit, and if they just could solve their ninth-inning problems, this Potters' bullpen would be such a menacing opposition to these teams, and they would really be in the hunt to potentially hosting that wildcard round as that wildcard team. The division has been out of reach for as long as we all can remember, but they would be right behind the Braves who currently lead the potter's by, I believe seven and a half games. It's either seven and a half or six and a half. I'm going to pull that up right now. But I mean, if you're the potters, you really want to get that fourth spot. You obviously have got some ways to go and not a whole lot of time to do it. It's now seven and a half games behind the Braves. So, I mean, it's go time. And, I mean, this Potters bullpen can really be an anchor for this team, especially if the rotation pitches like how they did against Washington. And they've got some struggling offenses coming up the, the next three series. I mean, we're not going to dive into Kansas City and San Francisco, but those offenses aren't playing well. And then Cleveland with this upcoming series, which I'm about to dive into. But uh, one other thing, uh, Jerickson Profar is, I think, the Potters' natural leadoff hitter. Uh, Will Myers did a good job against Corbin. Uh, and then Profar got a day off so that Grisham could bat leadoff. I, I, I've been a Trent Grisham believer, even when he struggled this year. Trent Grisham has kind of established himself as not really being that guy at the top of the putter's lineup. And that's fine. He's been really good at that bottom of the order spot. You know, when the middle of the order, gets on base. They need someone to hit them in. Trent Grisham's kind of been that guy over the last two months. Uh, he puts together good long at-bats. Takes Pitches out of the zone. He's a good bat, but he he's not he's not the leadoff batter that I believed he once was and that he showed he was back in the 2020 season and early in 2021. He's not that guy right now. Uh, needs to be ProFar. And I think Hasan Kim can be batting leadoff too, but he also could be a guy who's just thriving at the bottom of the order and you kind of just want to let that ride. So that'll be something to monitor what the Potter's leadoff situation continues to look like because Pro Far hasn't been as great over the last week or so. Let's move on to the upcoming series against the Cleveland Guardians. And this is going to be pretty fascinating because Mike Clevenger is going to pitch against his old team. Uh, So is Cal Quantrill. Quantrill's going to start game two, but Clevenger gets a start in game one. And I think that's going to be a cool opportunity for him. I don't want to say the, at the time, the Indians, now the Guardians gave up on Clevenger, but he was kind of becoming... Uh, a clubhouse problem per se for them, One out uh, during the COVID season when they weren't supposed to, uh, was showing up kind of late to some stuff. It was becoming an issue for Cleveland. And they said, you know what? We believe in our starting pitching depth. We're going to trade you and get some really good players, which they have done a really good job with. And I mean, it's been the right decision for them. Cal Quantrill has been really good for them. Josh Naylor has been really good for them. Owen Miller had a good year for them. Uh, Austin Hedges has been a dependable catcher, certainly behind the plate, at the plate, as a batter. I mean, Potter fans know how that goes. But they they traded Clevenger and got six good pieces, and it's an opportunity for Clevenger to kind of prove his worth to his old franchise. I think that's a really cool opportunity for him. And then you Darvish gets the ball. How was he going to respond after he ended up taking the loss despite – Going into the ninth inning in a tie game at 1-1, facing a lineup that's not great, but they're very disciplined. And this lineup for Cleveland does not strike out. They are the best team at not striking out, is I guess how I would say it. Uh, They do not strike out practically at all. Uh, Austin Hedges is an exception to that. Um, But I I think it's going to be interesting to see how um, Clevenger and Darvish maneuver that lineup Against the Guardians, and then Aaron Savali gets a start for the Guardians in game number one. Savali has been and not not, and not a very good pitcher for them. I mean, we're just gonna say it how it is. He's been on the injured list for part of the season. He's made fourteen starts, just sixty four innings. He's got sixty six strikeouts, sixteen walks, so he's gonna be in the zone. He's got a five point six three ERA, but something that I do notice is a three point seven two FIP, Fielder Independent Pitching. So his quality of contact isn't that bad. Uh, He's just kind of been a little bit unlucky uh, with where balls have been going. So that'll be something to monitor how the Padres batted ball luck is against Savali, especially because the Padres aren't striking out and Savali's going to be in the zone. So that'll be something to watch. And then Cal Quantrill, who has finally emerged, uh, really getting a full-time opportunity to start uh, for the entire season. Uh, He hasn't missed a start, 23 starts thus far. 3.77 ERA, a 4.45 fit. So kind of the opposite of Savali. He's been kind of lucky with his quality of contact. Uh, Just 88 strikeouts and 136 innings pitched, but has been a really solid piece for the Guardians and an opportunity for him like Clevenger. I don't want to say the Padres gave up on Quantrill, but they saw an opportunity to take advantage of his value, and he can now go show the Padres what they are missing out on. And Quantrill, of course, still has a lot of control. And I'm sure he's someone that the Potters wish they still had. Obviously, you're very happy with the performances that Mike Clevenger has put on for your team, but Quantrill has been almost as good as Clevenger has been this year, Uh, and he's got more control uh, under his belt uh, for the franchise. So I think that's something that uh, can be fascinating. It's it's a big storyline for this upcoming series, is this Clevenger-Quantrill trade. That happened at the 2020 MLB trade deadline that helped push the Potters into a playoff spot for the first time since 2006. Then Clevenger got hurt, and then the Potters tried to bring him back in for the playoffs, and he got hurt even worse and wasn't able to pitch at all last year and has been kind of limited with his full ceiling this past year. And Quantrill, along with some of the other players that were traded to Cleveland in that trade, have been A big part of the reason why the Cleveland Guardians are in first place in the AL Central. They have a worse record than the Padres, um, but they're in first place. And if you make it into the playoffs, I mean, we saw the team with the worst record in the playoffs last year was the Atlanta Braves. And they were the ones who won the World Series. So I think that's going to be something that uh, the Guardians are just saying got to get into the playoffs and going on the road facing an interleague opponent. It's going to be tough for them. We saw the Padres go there back in April, and they split those games 1-1. So an opportunity for the Padres to win the season series. And you know what? I mean, it's really ambitious thinking, but say these two teams end up facing each other in the World Series and they have the same record, you're really going to be hoping that you're the Padres and you win these next two games so you can host the Game 1 and Game 2 of the World Series and you get that home field advantage. Uh, for the World Series. Uh, obviously, like I said, that's very ambitious thinking because the Padres need to focus on getting into the playoffs, but that's got to be something that's in the back of their mind. And now let's look at some of the key contributors for the Cleveland Guardians, especially on their offense. Their catchers are, of course, former Padre Austin Hedges, who is not a good hitter. We're not kind of sugarcoated. Like I've done so a couple of times on this podcast, but Padre fans know. How good he is defensively. A 53 OPS plus, but he's probably going to win the American Gold Glove behind the plate at catcher. And Luke Maylie is their other catcher. Much better off behind the plate, 98 OPS plus, but is really coming into his own defensively behind the plate. Uh, Other bats, Josh Naylor is their primary first baseman. Padres fans uh, know a lot about Naylor. Andres Jimenez was an All Star. He made the really nice play against Mati Machado in the All Star game. a 309 batting average and a 149 OPS plus Jose Ramirez is of course the big bat in the guardians lineup he's got a 152 OPS plus Ahmed Rosario is their shortstop a 109 OPS plus Steven Kwan is their left fielder really a contact guy doesn't walk a ton but finds his way on base with a lot of singles a 123 OPS plus uh Nolan Jones is a guy they called up. He was one of their top prospects. He is an outfielder, 96 OPS plus. has got a lot of power. And then there's a couple other players in there. No longer a part of the Guardians is Fran Mel Reyes. He is now a member of the Chicago Cubs and was a big part of the reason the Cubs were able to take two out of three from the Brewers, giving the Padres some uh, insurance room in that wildcard race. And then looking to the Cleveland bullpen, uh, it's one of the best and all baseball. Really good bullpen. Emmanuel Classé is one of the best closes in baseball. 51 and two-thirds innings. He struck out just 55 guys, but a 1-2-2 ERA and a 1.84 FIP. So uh, if he ends up coming into any of these games, you're going to see really hard cutters. And he struck out Jay Cronworth in the All-Star Game. Potter fans might remember that if they are watching it. Uh, Trevor Stephon, uh 2.49 ERA and 47 innings with 59 strikeouts. Brian Shaw, a 5.36 ERA in 43 innings. Sam Hentges, a, a 3 ERA in 44 innings. Uh, Eli Morgan, a 4 ERA in 49 innings, but a 3.75 FIP, so a good arm there. James Karinczak, uh, he had missed a lot of the early part of the season, but has been a really good reliever for them as of late. 1.42 ERA in 19 innings with 34 strikeouts. So you're talking about a really elite relief pitcher there for the Guardians. Uh, Eniel De Los Santos, uh, 290 ERA and Nick Sandlin at 2.27 ERA. Those are their big relievers. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Doubles Talking Padres. Thank you all for tuning in. My name is Dominic Stern. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you might as well do so at DM Stern 19. Uh, I tweet a lot about the Padres, uh, tweeting a lot of our stuff from East Village Times. Um, and of course, I record these Doubles Talking Padres. Uh, my senior year has begun here. At Arizona State University and the Walter Crockett School of Journalism and Mass Communications. Uh, it's really looking forward to that opportunity. And of course, bringing you the latest in Padres baseball on Devil's Talking Padres. Make sure to follow us or subscribe, us, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other one. We're on it, you name it. Make sure to listen to us there because we recap every single Padres series and preview the one just like this against the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, Bobby Murphy should be back after the two-game set against the Guardians, just two games, night game Tuesday, and then a day game on Wednesday. A nice opportunity for the Padres to get a day off on Monday and then a day off on Thursday to really head into the final five or so weeks of this Major League Baseball season so they can hopefully make the playoffs and play in front of fans in the postseason for the first time since 2006. Of course, Made the playoffs two years ago in 2020, but didn't get to play in front of any fans. So once again, I'm Dominic Sterny. Thank you all for tuning in to Dallas Talking Padres. We hope to catch you on a future episode. Go Padres.